Hi, everybody, and welcome to Joint Air Christian Lifestyle. Shane Fritz here with you today. Super excited to be with you um, as we uh, as we get ready to get into another uh, episode, another discussion. Today we're going to be coming out of uh, John chapter 20. Um, we're going to be talking about the peace that Christ gives us, that, that gift of peace that he gives us. Um, but before I get into that today, I just I do want to take a moment... And really, I just want to to give a thank you um, to the people that are listening to us every week, that are downloading this every week and checking out the new episodes, um, particularly um, those who, who we don't know at all. And, and you know, we're seeing that, that this program now is being downloaded uh, quite a bit overseas. We have people in, in the U.K., in Germany, um, in Sweden who are listening to every episode and it's really encouraging and awesome when we get to to see um, the way that's spreading. Of course, our prayer is always that this is just an encouragement um, to you as you listen to it, um, that it provokes thought within you. And so, again, we just want to say thank you to those of you who are who are supporting us, who are supporting us in prayer, who are supporting us financially. Um, what a blessing you guys are to us. And so, again, we just say thank you. Um, as we get into this episode today, like I said, we're going to be in John uh, chapter 20. Um, we're going to start in verse 19. We're going to go through verse um, 23. Um, short section here of scripture to set the tone. Of course, we're, we're post-resurrection here. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's appeared to Mary. Mary's reported it to the disciples. And we're going to pick up in verse 19 um with this account immediately following um this when mary reports it to the disciples and so i'm going to go ahead and read through it and then we're going to go back and just kind of open it up a little bit and so verse 19 says then the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the jews jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them peace be with you when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Boy, there's about 400 messages just in those five verses. Uh, you know, we could go, we could go through this and spend an enormous amount of time. For but today, what I really want to focus on is what Jesus is doing in this moment as he enters this room and as he speaks to the disciples. And so. You know, as we pick up in verse 19, what's it say? Then the same day at evening. Now, the same day. So we're on Sunday here. Um, he appears to Mary Magdalene uh, after he's raised. And now it's evening time. And of that same day after she's reported this to the disciples. And we find the disciples and they're be behind locked doors. It says the doors were shut. In other words, they, they barricaded themselves into a room where they feel that they're going to be secure. Um, it says out of fear of the Jews. Can you imagine? I, I don't think any of us can fully grasp the range of emotions that would have happened, you know, right there in that 
in in those couple of days um you have to put yourself in the place of the disciples i mean they were completely sold out their livelihoods are gone uh you know they they left their jobs and their careers to follow jesus um you know they they set family aside to go follow jesus um relationships all, all of this stuff and for three and a half years they followed the christ and here they are now they've seen him crucified they've they've seen the brutality that came after him they they've they've seen him crucified can you imagine i mean we know the fear that that struck them they they fled they fled peter you know was in a place of denial and and all of this and so here they are in this in this room barricaded in you know one thing that's not listed here in the scriptures but but i feel like would have even played into this too is is that they may have even felt a certain fear of jesus because can you imagine as they get this report that that jesus has rose now all of a sudden some of the words that jesus spoke over those three and a half years they're, they're starting to come back to mind oh my goodness i mean he said he was going to raise on the third day he would be raised we didn't even believe him you know we abandoned him right and so there could have even been some slight slight fear of what jesus reaction would be if and when he caught up with them all that being said we find them locked in this room how glad are we that jesus doesn't need keys to unlock where we think we're secure and safe at um they thought they thought they were hidden away and that no one could touch them and then right there in their midst is jesus and I think that, you know, sometimes um, there can be a place within us where, you know, things that have happened in our life, um, we compartmentalize and we can lock stuff away and repress. And I mean, you know, we, we can use all kinds of language there, but there's things that we can kind of try to push down and keep in a secret spot inside of us. And what happens is when we're, when we're trying to keep stuff down and repressed and compartmentalized, what are we doing? We are, we're hiding it from ourselves, but really we're also kind of hiding it from him. It's all of that stuff is stuff that we need to lay bare before him. One of the things I'm so thankful for in my own life is that Jesus showed up in those places without me ever um, voluntarily opening them up to him. And so I'm I'm really uh, beyond thankful that Jesus does not need keys to the door to show up in the room. And, you know, what's amazing here is he shows up in the room and then he makes this statement, peace be with you. He knows, he knows they're fearful. Can you imagine the look on their face when they're like, oh my goodness, he's right here with us, right? Uh, you know, you go back to Daniel, right? Didn't we throw three in, but now there's four. All of a sudden, you can kind of see him. Wait, we got an extra person here amongst us, right? And he says, peace be with you. What's happening as he speaks that is that the atmosphere of the room is shifting and changing. As he speaks that, peace is now with you. That's literally what he's saying there. And it says, when he had said this, we're in verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. It says, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus is so patient with us. You know, he, you would think that the miraculous 
um, appearance of him in that room would have been enough to bring joy to them. But he was willing to give them the show of proof to put their minds at ease. And, you know, and once he did that, it says they were glad. He's so good. He's so loving. He's so patient with each of us. He's, He's willing to confirm himself over and over again to us as we need. It says, so Jesus said to them again. Okay, so verse 19, he says, peace be with you. Now we're down in 21. It says, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And what's happening here is that it looks like there's a repetition in the phrase here. It says, says, peace be with you now in 21. He says, peace to you. In some translations of the Bible, it'll actually read the same exact phrase. But I think it's important to note that there's actually a distinction made here between what Jesus says when he enters the room and what Jesus says in the second addressing to the disciples after he said, look, I am Jesus. Here are my wounds. Now he says, peace to you. And and why it's so important is that there's something different happening here. When Jesus shows up in the room, he says, peace be with you. The atmosphere changes. In 21, when he says, peace to you, it's an impartation where they are now not just partakers of an atmosphere change. They have become atmosphere changers. This is really powerful, guys. And it goes along with what what we've been speaking over the last couple of episodes, right? We talked about the fact that we we are called to go forth. Last week, we, we spent a lot of time, we were talking about prayer walks, shifting stuff in the spiritual realm. This is what happens when Jesus uh, imparts his peace to us. We become atmosphere changers in the spirit. It becomes manifest and made known in the natural as well. But we are we are literally shifting things in the spirit because of what Jesus imparts to us. And it, so he says in verse 19, peace be with you. He changes the atmosphere. Verse 21, peace to you. Now you're becoming an atmosphere changer. And he says, as the father has sent me, I also send you. I'm not going to take time to mispronounce Greek words here, but I want to note here, this is not, When he says, as the Father has sent, the word sent is a different word than where he says, I also send you. And it's not just about the tense of the the verb. They are totally different words. When he says, as the Father has sent me, okay, the phrase there, if we would translate it, would be, as the Father has appointed me. In other words, as the Father has given me um, the authority now he says, I also send you. And when he says, I also send you, the word send there is like a driving or a thrusting. In fact, the same word is used in Revelation. He's talking about thrusting the sickle in. And so when he says, as I also send you, he's he's not talking about so much your appointment as you're being driven by him. It's really important because when he be, when he changes things in you to where you where you are imparted to become an atmosphere changer, okay, 
He gives that authority and then he thrusts you. He drives you into situations, into rooms. He takes them from a room where the atmosphere has changed to sending them to rooms to change atmospheres. Boy, that's powerful. He says, I also send you. He's sending them out. This is a commissioning and an impartation happening right here. And it says, and when he had said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Boy, I could, I could just stop in 22 for a, for a minute. When I get the vision of him breathing the breath of life, the Holy Spirit into their nostrils, right? Can you imagine as Jesus now, right? raised glorified he's picked back up his he, he he's picked back up his mantle of divinity can you imagine his memory as he was there and breathing the breath of life into adam and now he's breathing the breath of life onto his disciples this is the full born again experience that we're seeing take place Right here in this in this room with a locked door as Jesus appears and he said, there's more for you than to cower in fear and rely on me to change the atmosphere in this room. I'm going to give you life more abundant, right? We're going back two episodes here. I'm going to give you life more abundant right now that you'll go forth with a purpose to change atmospheres everywhere you go. Man. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, as as born-again believers today, as we receive the Holy Spirit, it may not... It, in fact, I, I know very few people who have received the Holy Spirit and felt, you know, uh, uh, the blast of air go into their nostrils. Um, and yet it's, it's very much exactly what happens to us as we're born again, as Adam was born and as the disciples were born here. They're born again of spirit, receiving that spirit. And I think it's so beautiful at what 23 reads here. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This peace that comes from Christ comes from no longer being consumed with worry and fear over death and eternity. And as he's speaking this to his disciples, right, he's given them the job to go out and forgive the sins of people they come in contact with. He's giving them that authority to preach the gospel. It's not that the disciples were in a place of judgment. It's not that the disciples were being sent to forgive everybody who had ever wronged them. They were being sent to preach the gospel that you no longer have to offer sacrifices for your sins. You've been forgiven. It's time to stop um, worrying about presenting the perfect lamb because the perfect lamb has already been presented. Okay. The freedom of that is what he's, he's giving them to go release. And if you've ever talked, if you've ever talked with anybody who is guilt-stricken, um, or if you remember yourself, you know, maybe this was you when you first came 
to Christ and, and you were all wrapped up in everything you had done wrong for years and years. I mean, the, the, okay, again, I'll go back to my own testimony, right? Coming out of that religious background and knowing how bad, right, how bad I had missed it and always trying to work out my own salvation by my works, this was exactly what gripped me because I knew what kind of person I was. So I knew um, what sins needed forgiven. But Jesus says, I don't need your works anymore. I've done all the work. It's not about your performance. It's about my performance. It's not about the report card that that um, of what you've done. Don't worry, I've already done it all. It's my report card that's going before you. Um, we, Victoria and I, we're, we're uh, going through uh, the Hebrews study um, right now. Bill Vanderbush and Pastor Don put out uh, a little over a year ago. And, and one of the things that jumped out um, to me as we were going through that is uh, it, it's uh, Bill Vanderbush talking about the meaning of propitiation. And, and you know, as we go through um, Hebrews, it, talks about Jesus being the propitiation for our sins. And and he really explains it nicely, you know, as he goes through it. And he said, look, there's a difference between um, you go into court and there is a fine um, for whatever you've done wrong that needs paid. And, and often when we talk about the gospel, we talk about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We'll say he paid the price for our sins. But he does so much more than that. You see, if if I go into court and I'm guilty as charged, right, as we all are of sin, you go into court and you're guilty as charged and the, and the judge said, here's your fine. That's the judgment and the sentence, right? If it's sin, the wages sin pays is death. Okay, death is what's due for what you've done and Jesus pays the cost. Okay, what does that do? Jesus pays the cost, you're no longer need to pay with your life, but you're still just as guilty because you still committed the sin. That's that's what happens when Jesus pays the price for sin. When Jesus becomes the propitiation for our sins, it goes beyond that. Now, not only is he paying the cost, but it's actually him who bore our sins on the cross. In other words, Jesus took the place. He's actually taking your sin on himself, so it's as if you never did it. The freedom involved in that will release peace that per surpasses understanding over your life because now you don't have to carry the guilt, the shame, the condemnation. It's not just that you don't have to pay the price. You don't have to carry the sin on yourself. That's the difference between a God who's just just and a God who's just and loving. and has grace that cannot be exhausted. Okay. I want to go back into peace just a little bit. Um, and I'm going to try to wrap this up. We go back to John 14, right? And Jesus talks about his gift is a gift of peace. And it's a gift, not as the world gives. In other words, it's not a gift that can ever be taken from you. Once he imparts his peace to you, once you receive the Holy Spirit, once you become an atmosphere changer, it's not a gift as the world gives that ever um, gets dull or loses its shine. It's nothing that loses value. It's nothing that can be taken uh, or stolen or broken. In fact, except for 
the case where we would be in a place of simply sitting it aside. There's nothing that can ever affect it, right? I mean, we go uh, to Romans 8, and we're talking about God's love, and it's quite literally, um, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing that can separate us from the peace of God externally, except for whatever, if we would ever make a choice to alienate ourselves from it from an internal standpoint. It's only things within us that could ever remove it from us. Nothing in the outside world can take it or change it. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've been, I've been doing a lot of, uh, of personal study on it, and we're actually, uh, we're, we're going towards a place of releasing some teaching about leaving behind fear and anxiety and crossing into this peace and this rest, um, almost in terms of a full on deliverance. Okay. Because there's a spirit of fear that grips people. But we weren't given a spirit of fear, right? But of love, of power, and of sound mind. So one last scripture I'd like to go to is Philippians 4. And I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. We're going to read verses 6 um, and 7. And it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I love that. You know, and when we talk about having peace over our lives... um, if we just stop it, don't worry about anything. I feel like you know, people are like, well, that's a nice thought, but how does that, how does that ever work out for anybody? I mean, I hear you brother, but come on, easier said than done, right? That's too simplistic of an answer. So we have this compound phrase here. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Praying about everything is the answer. But He goes on here even further and he instructs us in what a proper prayer is to alleviate ourselves from worry. And he says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And I think this is such a powerful statement. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about turning this into a a methodology uh, of, of these prayers work. And you say these scriptures and anxiety leaves and fear leaves and, and unrest leaves and, and peace will enter. No, but there, there, is a, there is a very specific formula that Paul sets out here. And he said, tell God what you need, then thank him for all he's done. Why? Because, all right, what's on our heart is what we need. We know that, right? And if we go back to the Sermon on the Round, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So... So in all reality, we really don't even need to voice our needs to God. And yet the direction is tell God what you need. Why? Because now it's off our chest. We're leaving it with him. And then it says, and thank him for all he has done. I just, I just saw this and, and this is a secular study. This was nothing that, that anybody preached on or anything else. There was a secular study done talking about the fact that gratitude and anxiety cannot exist um, in the same mind. In other words, when your mind is filled with gratitude, your mind can't be filled with anxiety. There's a natural limitation that God created in our brains where when we live from a place of gratitude, we can't live in a place of anxiety. When we live 
from a place of gratitude, we can't live in a place of unrest. We can't live in a place that lacks peace. Okay. So when we, when we sit there and we, and we put our minds in a place of gratitude and we thank God for all he's done in our life, now that peace can become dominant over our life. If this, we're called to be atmosphere changers, but if we're struggling to change the atmospheres in our own home, in our own car, in our own job, in our own school, right? This is where we need to go, to a place of gratitude. Because once once we're living from a place of thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you, God, that, that this is not... This is not who you created me to be. Thank you, God, that you've saved me from from what I was. That you have that you came that I might have a better life. That you're showing me a better way to live. When we start living from a place of gratitude, when we start living from a place of thanksgiving for every time He's ever come through before, now all of a sudden our brain literally lacks the ability to focus on a place of fear, anxiety, worry, unrest, and, and unpeace. It's pretty amazing. And so he goes on there, verse 7, it says, And then you will experience God's peace, which experiences what we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It's his peace. It's a gift, not as the world gives. Not only does... Is it something that can't be taken from you? Not only is it something that never breaks down or loses its value, it's something that's always effective in its purpose. And its purpose here that that is placed is to guard our hearts and our minds. Why? Because when my mind is filled with gratitude, my motive for why I do everything will be from a place of gratitude rather than a place of what can I, what what can I do to secure this? What can I do to make sure this happens? What can I do to make sure um, of this security? Right? Listen, this we can turn anything into a methodology um, based out of fear. Uh, you know, we can. This can be over health. Uh, you know, and healing. This, this could be uh, about our finance. This could be um, about relationships. But the truth is, is that when we, are, when our heart is poised out of gratitude, now it it stops being about what I, what I'm making sure I get for myself and for my family, and it starts being about what I can, um, what I, what I'm doing for him out of a place of thank you for what you've done for me. Really, it's a place where we start becoming motivated out of love rather than lust, and that's something that we've talked about before. Um, but when we are filled with gratitude, we'll start doing for him rather than for us. And really, as we go back over, you know, the, the last couple of weeks and the last few episodes, that's really what we've been unpacking is that we need to be living from a place of what can I do for you to let heaven touch earth rather than what can I do so that my, so that I feel more like it's heaven. Believe me, I want to feel heaven on earth. I want to see heaven on earth. But more than that, I want his kingdom to dominate 
this earth. I want his way to be made known to everyone around me because there's a better way than the struggle and the worry and the anxiety and the fear that accompanies um, so many people today and, and really paralyzes so many people today. I want the news of what he has done and what he's doing and what he will do to supersede and be louder than the news of what's going on around us. I want to, I want people to begin to see from that heavenly perspective rather than from what they see just, just around them at eye level. We need to return to heaven and see the way heaven sees. And, but not just that, we need to lift others up alongside of us so that they can see the way heaven sees. And that's what Jesus accomplished in that locked room that day. He came in and he changed the atmosphere. And then he said, now I'm going to make you atmosphere changers. Anyways, guys, that's what I got for you today. Um, again, thanks for supporting us. We love you guys. And until we talk again, be blessed.